Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. This is Nibal. And I'm really excited. Nibal is guest co-hosting right now. Um, they've been on the podcast as a guest before, and it just felt fitting to like do this together. So we have a guest on this week. Really excited to talk. She has a book about to come out. Uh, so can you introduce yourself first and then share a little bit about your background? Yeah, I'm Azreen Vanderfleet Alumi, author of Savage Tongues, which comes out in August. I'm an Iranian-American uh, writer, and I, I tend to engage with questions of displacement and exile and migration in my, in my writing. Um, and I write often about Iran, Spain, and America. Can you give the listeners and us kind of an idea like how all of those locations fit into this particular novel? Yeah, so those are locations that are important to me because I obviously live there growing up um, at different time periods. And in Savage Tongues, the narrator, Arezu, uh, returns to southern Spain and Marbella with her best friend, Ellie, who's um, an Israeli-American who is a pro-Palestinian scholar and translator of Arabic literature. And together, um, they kind of confront questions and memories of sexual violence that the narrator experienced 20 years prior when, when she lived in Marbella. Is Marbella where you lived yourself? I've spent some time in Marbella, okay. but I never really lived there. Um, when I lived in Spain, I lived in Catalonia and in oh. Valencia and very briefly in Madrid. We were reading the, there was an excerpt, like a foreword, and we were reading that and we noticed there was something that really stuck out for me where you were describing like this, when you're kind of in this in-between space, something that feels in between to you, you a lot of yourself is built on like a sense of self-loathing and it's because of external forces, internal forces, all of that combined um, self-loathing. You also mentioned like misdirected revenge. And I just, mm. that really resonated with me. I kind of wanted to get a little bit into that with you. Um, kind of like what that means for you in the context of this novel, if you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, I mean, I think you put your finger on it. That's a term that comes mm. up in the first, I think, 10 pages or so that were excerpted on, on LitHub. And the narrator has a lot of self-loathing, right? Um, and is in this very liminal space where she feels as though she weren't not really at home anywhere. She's constantly an outsider in the American landscape, an outsider in the Iranian landscape, and, and same in Spain. And her and her brother experience pretty extreme ethnic-based uh, violence in the United States shortly after migrating here. And that's the incident that then sends her life kind of spiraling out of control. And she goes to Marbella and then begins this, this pretty catastrophic affair with a much older man um, who's, who's um, of Lebanese descent. And so the, all of the characters in the novel are displaced and have experienced political violence. And for her, that feeling of the political violence that she carries in her body, right, coming from Iran and, and being in exile, um, then gets multiplied when she experiences racial and ethnic violence in the American landscape and watches her brother nearly die um right he's nearly beaten to death and yeah. and it's impossible for her not to have self-loathing after something like that or you know the 
the issue is like nobody provides her with any language for understanding what's happened. Um, so the misdirected revenge, I think, is just really intense anger and confusion, right, of being constantly disoriented and, and kind of kicked around. How do you feel like, I don't know if this would lead to too many spoilers, how do you feel like revenge comes into play? In the novel? Yeah. Oh, that's a really big question. <laughs> what I don't know how revenge particularly comes into play. I think yeah. that more than more than the energy of revenge, there's there's really a lot of perpetuation of violence as victims yeah. of violence. Throughout the novel, it becomes harder to distinguish victim from victimizer, right? Because right. everybody in the novel is enmeshed in this landscape of political and intimate trauma, personal trauma. I don't know why. Uh, well, I guess the word revenge just like really stuck out to me. Um, I'm someone who is mixed. I'm half Saudi, half, um, and then my mom's side is like white Midwestern. And a lot of times like it's been preached like, oh, um, forgiveness is the is the way to go and blah, blah, blah. And I've always had this sense of like, no, revenge is, is so much more effective. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so reading the phrase like misdirected revenge just felt like really relatable. <laughs> and so I was curious. Yeah. So I guess for some reason that just like really stuck out with me and I felt kind of seen reading that. Um, right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's really critical to, to our survival to engage our anger, you know? Right. And I think that's an important piece. And I think that being from the Middle East in mm -hmm. the world, in the post nine, it's never been comfortable, but in the post 9-11 American landscape, it's particularly harsh and brutal and marginalizing. Right. And you know, we haven't necessarily mobilized enough as a community. I think that yeah. there's a lot of work to be done. But I, yeah, I hear you. The anger, I think, is really important. And, and yeah. it is a form of resilience. It's a form of resistance. And then it's also an energy that's so powerful that we can misdirect it at the same time, right? So Absolutely. it's very mercurial energy. Yeah. Um, very, yeah. It can be transformative and really damaging. Um, right. So yeah. yeah, it's so hard sometimes to know what to do with it. But with my mom on the white side of the family, I was always telling her, I was like, don't shelter me from what that side of the family has to say or has like the feelings toward me because I need to know who to watch my back around. I need, I can't be sheltered from that. And I feel like that kind of attitude that I had did build this guard. And um, a lot of times I would think of justice as revenge more than what was being like constantly what felt like gaslighting of like preaching of forgiveness and stuff like that. And so I don't know, there was something just really affirming reading this, <laughs> that phrase in that, um, in that excerpt. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Glad to hear that. I mean, it's it sounds like you come from a hybrid yeah, white yeah. Middle Eastern family. And the narrator exactly. in the novel has that subjectivity, right? She's half mm -hmm. British, American, and, and Iranian. And yeah. And it is, you know, she she talks a lot about being, you know, made up of these parts that are enemies, right? Like in the political mm -hmm. and geographical lang landscape, those are enemy sides. And what does it mean to to have to like integrate all of that inside your own body and, and right. how damaging some of the colonial dy dimensions are within families, right? That just because yeah. somebody marries into 
a Lebanese family or a Saudi or Iranian family doesn't mean they always understand how to hold that or how they're implicated in the violence that we've experienced. So it is really complicated. It is. Yeah, I just to further comment on this, um, you know, I've when I read the phrase misdirected revenge, I mean, I, I also, not to throw anyone in my family under the bus, but I did think about family dynamics and um, how also, you know, not just within present, present day violence, but also how violence carries on through time and through generations, the ways members of my family in previous generations were traumatized in ways I can never understand or um, empathize uh, with. I can sympathize as best as I can, but um, at the end of the day, I, you know, I can't understand what they went through. And that creates a kind of dissonance within our relationships that uh, should be, if, you know, at least we consider in the family, you know, sh- should be really tight-knit bonds. Of course, that that dissonance also results, can result in, um, can be misunderstood and uh, as um, opposition. And we would create this pol- these kind of political dynamics within our families that are intertwined with colonial legacies that have harmed us. Mm-hmm. That's sort of where my mind went to. Um, one thing that I'm really curious and I want to learn more about is who who is Omar? You know, we read, um, there was this line, Omar, my lover, my torture, my confidant and enemy. Uh, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the relationship um, mm-hmm. between the main character and Omar and also and just more broadly what kind of relationships can we expect um in this novel yeah i mean the relationship that she has with omar first of all is is a family relationship right um uh he's the narrator's stepmother's nephew and you know i think one of the things that you're talking about the the ways in which the previous generations of our families as middle eastern or descendants of Middle Eastern um, peoples, it's that level of political trauma that's been silenced. And I think because of the complications and and how stratified our societies are, and each of our societies are unique, but at the same time, there's been a lot of interference, colonial interference of, you know, chopping up the land, arbitrarily dividing the land, creating ethnic divisions or religious divisions that perhaps uh, wouldn't have existed previously. And then layering on top of that civil wars, invasions, right? War, all, all of the political trauma and the destruction just of the last 20 years. There's a lot that has remained unspoken in so many of, of our families, right? And those silences are really interesting to me because they always feel charged um, differently depending on people's genders and people's sexual orientations. And so even the silence has layers. Um, And maybe there's a certain amount of storytelling that you receive from your matriarchal line and then it gets complicated or viewed differently um, depending on even our ideas of like masculinity, right, are predicated on like how much you can hold in and, and how silent and strong you can be for your family. So yeah, I think that the relationship with Omar and Arazu, all of those silences are informing their relationship. And the way that I like to talk about it is that 
And the way that Arza talks about it is that their relationship was set up this this encounter between them which is an encounter of like erotic desire but also very violent um because of their the asymmetry of power right the really intense age gap etc it's kind of like every event that happened in their individual lives prior to them meeting sowed the earth for them to have this experience together. So I don't think about their sexual relationship as purely an intimate relationship happening in a vacuum of time, right? Um, it's one that that was created and also all of the people in the families, you know, one thing that we do know about intimate family sexual trauma is, is that it it requires more than the victim and the victimizer. It requires the silence of other family members or their denial or the lack of acknowledgement um, or sometimes the inability to parent because of their own traumas that you were describing. Their relationship is a very complicated one. Um, he grew up in the Lebanese civil war and is also displaced and a migrant um, and disoriented. So there's a great deal of of disorientation and reorientation in the novel. And how would you describe the like that those events happening and then how does that coincide or or relate to this feeling of abandonment from the father? Yeah, well I, I mean it's tough cuz I don't want to give a lot of information yeah. away, right? I want to do a lot of spoilers, but mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the father the father, I mean, I, I should say the parents are, are important characters, but they're also background characters, right? Oh, um, yeah. And and the, the, the main story is really a story of the friendship between Ellie and Arzu and their queer community and how they they hold space for each other to, to kind of strive toward liberation and justice. Mm-hmm. But the, the father is rather absent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the narrator's life and also really, you know, problematic in his internalized colonial discourses as a British man and not understanding perhaps I think most critically the ways in which women are extremely sheltered at times in our communities in Iran and then um, therefore not equipped for defending and protecting, like ours was not equipped for understanding what what's happening, right? that there is a lack of sexual agency that gets weaponized and instrumentalized, right? That had there been a kind of framework of, of liberation around sex for her in particular, and I'm not, I, I want to be very careful that listeners don't generalize, right? Don't take that into like a broader cultural understanding because this is a very particular story and um, a particular family represented in the novel. But yeah, she's very sheltered. And then she just flies out of the gates because of what happens to her brother and you know catastrophe ensues Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lack of parental authority there for sure um and then can you kind of describe um something we read was like the importance of feminine friendships um and i guess it would be cool to hear from you what that looked like um in the novel and how did the character find some reprieve or some comfort in in those relationships yeah arazu and ali meet as grad students and um they they um i think quickly sort of fall in love with each other as as great female friends do Mm -hmm. and 
I think that they understand each other's queerness very intimately in the sense of thinking about queerness as a kind of subject position of being differently oriented, right? And and they think about, about what it means to sort of be asked to always reorient your subjectivity and the ways that we we do, right? On even if it's unconscious, like if I or you or any of us face a white cisgendered person, male, we're going to present a certain way. And depending on levels of safety or unsafety, vulnerability or invulnerability that we experience in a space. And I think they're both really sensitive to that. And their friendship really is a very deeply intellectual friendship. They talk a lot about um, these issues and, and the politics of the Middle East and the politics um, in the United States. And, and their friendship is like a safe haven. And, you know, I am really interested in the ways that women talk to each other privately about sex and even sexual violence or sexual desire and how much our sexual desires are so much more complicated than we are allowed to to acknowledge or explore, right? There's so much censorship and self-censorship. And so this is really a novel that allows readers to overhear what it's like for two women who are deeply connected, talk to each other about how they've become who they are. I want to hear more about the queer communities that they're joining mm-hmm. uh, and also the, the relationship dynamics that occur in those kinds of spaces when they went so this friendship begins you know when they're grad students as I said and Ellie is there with with her partner her partner over the course of the novel very minor character right transitions and their relationship transitions as well and they're in a kind of relationship where they're partnered. Um, they used to be romantically involved, but um, they they love each other dearly and are committed to to family with each other, but have a very open relationship um, and are um, independently partnered in addition. And then there's another um, member of, of the group, uh, Sahar, who's Palestinian and is Arzu's roommate. And um, is is queer and struggling with what it means to be queer and Palestinian under under occupation, right? So, a lot of their conversations, you know, have to really be about about nationhood and politics because you know when you're dealing with questions of occupation and domination and who is allowed to have nationhood and who isn't, who is stateless. And what does it mean to be belong to a nation, right? Um, you know, it, it they really think of that as an extension of patriarchy, and they think of patriarchy as an extension of the colonial project, right? Which is all about domination. And so they, I think, help each other to really become very lucid about that, about. Mm-hmm. Um, about questions of ownership and how those questions aren't just about intimate relationships one-on-one, but that those intimate relationships are informed by these larger structures. And they're always very curious about that together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they, they're they very able to sit with each other's deepest and most troubling pain. And I think that's unusual. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was really awesome for me to, to kind of be in the novel with with them 
And I think that there, there is um, something in talking about revenge, right? Like queer community is the most healthy form of resistance and resilience, right? Um, for, for these characters and for so many. This seems very timely that the novel's going to come out. Um, I feel like there's some good conversation about pinkwashing that will come of it. Um, just, I mean, thinking about like a queer Palestinian character, how one identity is used um, as kind of a weapon against the other part of that person's identity. I don't know, that's been an important conversation. I know for a long time, but it's especially pronounced right now. Um, sure, yeah. I mean, pinkwashing is a really serious issue and it's connected to this narrative, right, um, that Israel has about being the only democracy in the Middle East, which is really problematic um, because at the same time, I mean, what, what, what that claim implies is, is that their presence there is an accident of geography. And at the same time, yeah. there's a massive claim to the geography, to the specific location. So there's a lot of cognitive dissonance happening there. Um, and the, the pinkwashing is a way of, you know, Israel's for people who are maybe listening who don't know, right, this mm -hmm. embrace of the queer community um, and the relative to the struggle of the queer community in Palestine gets used as another way to say that they're um, sort of emblems of progress, right, and that the Palestinians are, are not, um, you know, so there's a, a lot of cultural misunderstanding and insensitivity that gets um, perpetuated and a lot of that language of someone being barbaric or or savage or backwards is colonial right um, it's it's just straight out of the the playbook the colonial playbook so I'm excited to get to like look in on the conversations in the in the novel yeah. same here um, and you know that act, you know you brought up the title and uh, that was another really uh, Thing that was really curious to me because you know usually the uh, the word savage um, is referred to as you know as a slur against uh, indigeneity and against indigenous peoples um, I was really curious about your, um, your use of that term um, and how it relates to like the indigenous Palestinians in, in the occupied land mm -hmm. well I think it is a lot of the the anger and the and the revenge and the the reappropriation or the taking taking back terms that have been used um, against well I can't speak for the Palestinian community I'm not Palestinian and you know I say that with with the utmost respect for for the Palestinian community and for Palestinian writers right who we can be reading their you know Hala Island and to some awesome and there's so many wonderful voices that I think people should be aware of. Um, but in the context of, of Iran, right, um, that term was used and has continued to be used um, in the media here. You know, um, there are so many, so much political rhetoric coming out of the White House. During Trump, it was particularly atrocious, but it's been really ongoing for the last um, 50 years. I mean, through the, we saw some of it in the 50s, but it can really be traced back you know, in the 70s, um, there were, I don't, a lot of people don't know this, but there was actually toilet paper that was sold with faces of the Khomeini's or Iranians on it, um, so that people could 
could wipe with <laughs> with them. <laughs> I mean, it's like hard to even um, describe. And you know, I I'm not pro Islamic the Islamic Republic, but at the same time, I think that that level of um, perpetuating or taking away somebody's dignity, right, yeah. um, and that level of dehumanizing is is terrible and using those words like savage or barbaric or backwards or we're going to smoke them out of their holes right um as if we're just kind of living under a rock and in a dustbin there is a lot of anger around that in this novel and i think the title reclaims it and also indicates a lot of pluralism and plurality because it is savage tongues right um yeah so i think it's also about hybridity and um intersectionality and coalition building across right so there's there's so it is open-ended in some way so i hope people find find their way into it however they'd like yeah i love that i do too and it does you know remind me also you know getting back to misdirected revenge and all that you know i was just thinking um, also still like how, um, you know, one solution to not perpetuating violence in our communities, you know, we say punch up, not down. Um, but at the same time, you know, if Netanyahu were here, I'd throw my shoe at him, but unfortunately he's not, you know, so we, we do have this problem where the people who we are supposed to punch up to are not here or they're not, they, they made themselves, they, they try to make themselves as unreachable as possible and really takes a full coalition to really, you know, get up to them and, you know, direct our anger to them. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy um, when it's so easy to just direct your anger somewhere else yeah. and direct it against um, your to family. To somewhere more accessible. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. Um, and so I'm re- really excited to see how th- that conflict um, appears in, in the novel. Yeah, I mean, I do think that that, you know, violence is like an energy that doesn't disappear, right? So if we don't figure out how to channel it and mobilize, then it we either self-destruct or don't lift each other up or destroy one another. And I think that um, that's an important thing for our, you know, I think our generation to be cognizant of is like, how, how do we lift each other up? How do we create coalitions across, right? Um, and, and there are a lot of issues within, right, the Iranian world or the Arab world. And unfortunately, we, we also are guilty of racism and othering, right? And that's something that has to be acknowledged and addressed um, or colorism, right? So, yeah, I, I think it's, I, I think we can learn a lot from the Palestinian uh, mobilization and coalition building I think they've done an incredible job and and yeah I'm, I'm excited to see the conversation stay in the world right um, not just be a, a moment in the media because it's an ongoing humanitarian crisis and, and one of the worst humanitarian crises of of um, our time so yeah cool so I saw people can pre-order the book right at this yes, point Perfect. Y'all pre-order this. I'm going to. Awesome. And if people want to like follow you online, reach you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I don't have a huge. I'm not a huge social media person. Fair. I, you know, I tend <laughs> yeah. to kind of keep quiet and write. Um, 
but I do have an Instagram page and there's book news on there. So it's Azarine Vanderfleet. I, honestly, I don't even know. <laughs> okay. My website is another good place. And cool. yeah, we'll I, I'm pretty findable <laughs> Google. Uh, I'm just really excited to, you know, read it and explore all of these. I mean, they, they, these aren't stories that are typically told um, yeah. and not with, and I haven't seen, um, much with, uh, you know, this layer of complexity and identities and relationships and, you know, coalitions and also, um, in violence, um, and how it engages with all these themes. So I'm, I'm really fascinated by really the intricacy, um, with, uh, how you've dealt with all of these themes in your work. And I was, um, telling Alia, uh, you know, before we started, I was really fascinated by also just the, the general style, like how uh, how beautifully it reads and uh, that, that beginning and that gorgeous stream of consciousness being used, how that introduced so much internal conflict. Um, uh, and uh, one thing I do want to point out is uh, how interesting it was to see um, basically this progression, this progression in the exposition uh, of like, introducing so much uncertainty within the main character but um then saying i am iranian i um my dad is british uh lots of i i am statements um really showing a kind of showing there there is an awareness of who she is and where she comes from i don't know how intentional that is that's but um i i just i mean i just love the writing in it and uh, it's definitely it feels like a book I'm not going to be able to put down. Same, yeah. Thank you. Well, it's been really lovely to talk to you. You too. I'm really excited for this. Um, yeah. You all can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Mostly on Insta- we're mostly active on Instagram at the Queer Arabs, and our email is thequeerarabs at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.